truly Harpo the Healer. Welcome to the Harping with Harpo podcast. This is series three episode one. It's great that you've taken time out to listen and this is a supplement to Harpo the Healer on YouTube. These podcasts are all about blues harmonica and the genre. However, our discussions often change tack somewhat, sending our conversations down other interesting artistic thought-provoking avenues, which anybody may like and it may even inspire someone to take up this wonderful instrument or listen to new things. RJ's a friend of mine and a past student, and he's the perfect counter for the discussions with his wide variety of knowledge, often different thinking to mine, which facilitates debate. Check out season one, ten episodes, and season two, four episodes, diversifying into mysteries of the unknown, time travel, and thought experiments. We're back to it in series three, The Blues Harp. In this first episode of series three, we start with a humorous look at the mailbag, Next, we chat about the origins and manufacture of the diatonic harmonica. But don't worry, we're not in Geeksville. We're not in the business of boring people to death, thank goodness. We branch out and look at Germany as a focal point for the history of harmonica development and discuss a few of the great German giants of music. We then briefly chat about an old blues man from yesteryear from the 50s and 60s, Papa Lightfoot. Before we kick off, I'd like to remind you that as well as the free podcasts, Harpo the Healer uploads tutorials on the Harpo the Healer YouTube channel to provide a deeper insight into the teaching philosophy. This podcast was made on the 26th of August 2021. These are long distance recordings via internet technology. All right, that's enough. Cleared for takeoff from way 36, Harpo the Healer. Hey, how'd you? How's it going today? Yes, yeah, going fine, Harpo. How are you? I'm all right. I'm fine. Well, we're back to the... Uh... The blues harmonica in the start of our third series after our short uh, sabbatical uh, yeah, this, were into exactly, the uh, yeah, yeah. series. We are going to continue that at some stage, but we we do want to carry on with our um, with our uh, blues harmonica as much as possible. And of course, today we're going to look at the history of the harmonica and uh, kind of what you were talking about, sort of a German theme. In 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 yeah, it's all relevant, isn't it? We 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 have an overarching German that's going on here. We could have, yeah. So we're we're, we're going to have a, have a look at that. So, but because we've been uh, slightly neglecting our mailbag, it's uh, it's got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So a uh, couple of letters, I think we should, uh, if you can dive into the mailbag and pull yeah. out. Yeah, I'll do well. I think interesting one for us to to discuss. A couple of couple of interesting ones I got, which might kind of relate to the previous uh, little season of uh, podcasts we did. I got one from a guy called yeah yeah yeah. I got one from a guy called Isaac Asimov here, and uh, (laughs) and he sort of was saying he was really really listening with interest our previous uh, season two, and uh, he wondered what we might think might be the future because he wonders whether we've been in the future or maybe we've been in the past. I don't know. Maybe we're living in the past. I don't know. Um, What does he think might be the future of harmonicas? Have we seen the future? Does he think there could be any interesting improvements made on the fantastic little instrument of the harmonica, possibly in this virtual or technologically driven age we live in? Sort of like a little sort of satellite dish coming off the harmonica. Yeah, exactly. This is this is where we could sort of have a little talk about this. What do you think, Harpo? Do you think there could be improvements made to the harmonica? Anything in the future, um, hundred years from now? What do you reckon? Yeah, it's very good. People have done it with the tunings that we'll probably talk about later. Um, yeah. In terms of um, advanced, I wonder whether there might be Bluetooth. You might get a Bluetooth connection yeah. from your heart that will go to a uh, that will go to a, an amp or something. You know. I think the best uh, invention they could come up with, and this could work for saxophones, trumpets, trombones, everything, is some form of device, mm. handheld little device that you could fit around the harmonica, and stick yeah. an earphone in, 
but you didn't diminish anything from what you were hearing, but yeah. the outside world couldn't hear it. If somebody comes up with that, I think, um, and, and patents it, I think... Uh, It'd be unsolved, will it? yeah. It's like having, um, you could plug your guitar into an amp with headphones, isn't it? Exactly, so yeah. So you can just sort of practice with... I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, obviously playing the harmonica can be quite loud at times, even acoustically. Um, so that would be interesting. I wonder whether they could ever come up with, you know, you get those PlayStations and Xbox things. Mm. There are other products. And they do things like Guitar Hero, where you could sort of play oh, some yeah, sort of yeah. virtual guitar. Whether you could do that with a harmonica or something. You know, it keeps people interested in all these things. Um, but, yeah, that's an interesting, it's one to think about, isn't it? I, mean, I don't know whether Isaac uh, there was looking for sort of ideas for future future books but uh, yeah how about you you got any letters there well yeah i picked one out here um just at random was the you know the mail mm. vera ramsbottom right um 1898 oh good lord is she talking about that oh no that's the number of a house right she says it's a very long road yeah it's a long very road, long yeah. road and um she says she wanted to the doctors have been telling her to uh, exercise a diaphragm and her lungs because of the uh, medical history and they do have machines now, apparently, to do this. But some doctors do actually prescribe the diatonic harmonica for breathing and diaphragm and all the rest of it. So she'd yeah. taken this up and she thought, well, I might as well use the brain at the same time as um, a physical exercise. Otherwise, I'm just blowing the thing in and out. So that's what she's been doing. But 1897. Oh, right. That's her next door neighbor. Still, yeah. uh, you know, 1897. She yeah. says it's a horrible chap. He doesn't like uh, the music. He, he can hear it. And he's wanting to pull her cottage down and uh, convert it is um, convert it into a multi-story cow shed. He's, right. he's, a, he's a property developer. Yeah. Well, uh, all I can say there is you you keep on going with your with your harmonic and hopefully he'll be the one that uh, that has to move. Um, right. So that was quite an interesting one. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. On a similar uh, a similar vein. Uh, we've got an even someone. I don't know whether this is true or not, but we've got someone here who signs themselves off as Mr. Shakespeare, uh, and oh, he yeah, says no. how he really likes our harmonica podcasts, um, oh, and he's sort of saying how he's he's on the same wavelength as us, and he was sort of saying he'd written a few things. He didn't know whether we'd heard of them. But he said he mentions them, and he says he was interested whether we'd heard of them. And the quotes, he said he'd like to just quote a few of them. He said he's got one from something he wrote called. Measure for measure, he said, oh, gracious Duke, Isabella, someone called Isabella said, oh, gracious Duke, harp not on that, nor do not banish reason. <laughs> he's saying, yeah, so he's, he's into harp, he was into it back in the day, a long time ago. And he's got another one there, he said, uh, King Richard III, he said, harp not on that string, madam, that is past. So he's, he's really into that harping. He should get one of these T-shirts, shouldn't he, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that's thank you very much, Mr. Shakespeare. Yeah, great. Well, one last one here. This guy's name's Reg. Now, he hasn't put his um, last name. We've had a Reg before. Now, whether it's the same guy that's uh, keep sending me the same letter and sends a thousand a day, he might be. Well, right. let's have a look, Reg. He didn't put his last name on it. And he says um, he's playing blues harp and he finds that uh, when he plays, when he's in the gutter, he thinks that he, he plays a lot better. And he says, and every time I go in the gutter... I, I go and buy myself a new suit because he says when I'm in the gutter, they're a lot cheaper down there. Oh, right. So, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I can, I can getting get low, getting but low. He says, yeah, <laughs> but when he's down there, his blues harp is, is doing uh, doing well. I, that might yeah, be Reg. I like that. I've had Reg before. I don't know. Yeah, well, a regular listener. That's fine. That's good. Right. So we'll uh, we'll leave the mail for another time. We're going to talk about the, uh, uh, hopefully for the listeners, don't switch off, guys, because this could be, it's not going to be dirge. We're going to talk about the um, the history of the diatonic or the harmonica. While um, and it's, it's it's quite an interesting subject, but we've just got to be careful here because we don't want to make it into some sort of you know horrendous dictionary or index or something. We've got no, to, no, to no, make it, that, yeah. keep it quite light. Keep so it light. Yeah. Do you want to just start us off, RJ, with um, the the basics of how it how it all kicked off this this harmonica business? Because well, I just... I understood it to be originally you tell me if i'm wrong 2500 years ago the chinese had a what they call a sheng is it which yeah, is an instrument like with pipes that had these little reeds in a slot where they blew it and these pipe vertical pipe things 
and apparently that was from from what I gather they were bamboo reeds I think so I don't know. a sort of harmonica but we're we're gonna our starting blocks gonna be sort of what 18 19th century something like that is it yeah I think so I mean you, you from what I gather it off it, yeah you could you could bring it right back because I'm sure all these things have different um, origins whether it's based on some Chinese instrument but this, what they call this free reed instrument, don't they? Yeah. And uh, there was a bit of a, funny enough, before I had an harmonica, do you know what I had once? I had a concertina once. You know the concertina? Oh, yeah, concertina the old yeah. squeak, it's a bit folky. And they, I didn't really know anything about it. And it had some bellows. And it had, you, you get two buttons, two rows of buttons either side. That's right, yeah. And it was, it was again, I didn't know what diatonic was, but it's sort of, uh, you got C and G, so you got basically a C on one side and G on the other side in terms right. of buttons, and you pull it apart, you know, pull it one way and then you blow it, sort of thing. And uh, so I thought that was quite an interesting little instrument. I couldn't play it; I wasn't very good at it. But interesting, I think I, I could open it up every now and then, and you get these sort of play. Well, actually, I think the concertina still had what they called these reeds, these uh, little individual reeds, and I think that was kind of what they had early on in that early 1800s were these concertinas both mm. uk and germany they're kind of known for making these things and i get the impression that everybody as usual with technology everyone's pushing technology even back then and they were kind of thinking how can we make this a much more efficient product and an efficient sort of instrument because every every note on these like accordions or concertinas is a single reed and a bit of metal so you just right. so what they then probably thought was like why don't we make some kind of plate where we could have like some holes cut in and put each reed like shrink it down it's like computers isn't it they have everybody you started out with a room like your computer was in a room back in the 60s doesn't it yeah now you can you can probably fire a rocket from your smartphone couldn't you it's so compacted yeah. down yeah. and i get the impression what people were doing is they're trying to make it smaller and smaller and smaller and they kind of with the Germans um, and the English, or the UK, they created these concertinas where they used these plates inside them. And I think then they decided, well, how are we going to use these plates? We could maybe use these plates where you could blow across them. Yeah. I think this is where they started developing this idea of creating a little chamber, which is the comb. And you put two plates either side and you have a cover plate. Metal plates. Yeah, the metal plates. And you blow into it and you can obviously sort of create the vibrations on the reeds. I mean, I think that's just somebody who obviously coming at it from an angle where someone knows about these kind of free reed instruments where the reed is blown. Yeah. And I suppose for the listener, we have mm. to say that you and I play the, the little one, the, uh, the, the diatonic, diatonic one, one. Yeah. the 10, 12, 14, the smaller one. And, mm. uh, and basically, as, as RJ's just said there, they've got the... The comb usually made of either plastic or aluminium or yeah. can, be, can be wood, which a lot of us favour, with a metal plate either side so that you, you know, with a reed in the slot that's pre, it's pre-tuned already. So it's yeah, that's right. Determined yeah, by it's the length, like it's a saxophone it? player, mm -hmm. we stick a reed on, it's a, a different type of strength and then we play through mm -hmm. the instrument. This is kind of a pre-tuned uh, reed in the slot and then you blow and you draw mm. yeah and then we've and then they're sort of made of elongated spring usually made of brass stainless steel or yeah bronze. yeah apparently you can get i haven't had a bronze one i mean most of the ones i've got are just sort of the brass reeds aren't they if you open up the cover plates i mean i've got a yeah. lot of special 20s the home there's special a, yeah, 20s. yeah and there's, there's a thing you know there's longevity of the stainless steel reed it can do it depends mm. on the individual player when stainless steels and some of the Japanese came out first off and the German with with the stainless steel, I had them and I, I blew them more than I ended up blowing the reeds out more than the normal brass. Oh, on the stainless steel ones, right? Yeah, yeah I, ones, I did yeah. to start with and then mm. I sort of opera I sort of kind of played them a slightly differently after that. I was I was not mm. as keen at the start as I was later. But and and the sound is it is slightly different. You can't get away from that. Mm. might marginal if you if you played for a while you'll know but um mm, mm, but I, mm. I obviously use use all of them you know i like all of them sorry carry yeah. on I'm, i interrupted you there sorry carry well on. no that was fine so, i mean i think that was just a sort of brief um introduction to sort of the idea of like where it might have come from but generally yet yeah, germany seems to be quite 
well known for the development of the harmonica. Am I right, am I right in thinking first one was Bushman, the guy that did the first? Yeah, there were there were various, but I think that yeah, you're probably right. There's various characters that were involved, but I think what I've jumped to is the first mass production where they were kind oh, of produced on a big scale. Matthias Honer, isn't it? Is it yeah, Matthias from Matthias Honer? Yeah, yeah, and obviously he had. Um, there's still Seidel is another competitor of his, which yeah. is about the same time. Wasn't Honer the working... first character to? He was the first character to mass produce them. He he, he yeah. found a way of doing it. Yeah, and obviously the quality. I don't know what the quality would have been like back then. See, that, so if we're talking I think that's 18... absolutely absolutely key. 20-some years ago, I was at the Frankfurt Trade Fair with a, a dealer, a big, biggest saxophone dealer in my country, in our country. And we were out there, and that's when uh, I got invited to the Selma factory from Mr. Selma and Patrick, who probably then took mm -hmm. over the business. I was introduced to them over there. Yeah. But what was interesting, I, we came across this, like, um, I don't know the chap's name, sadly, probably a really nice guy, a, a Swedish clockmaker guy. And he made three saxophones and he was on yeah. the stand with these three saxophones and we tried them and they were absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. But each one had taken him five years to make. Mm -hmm. And he was looking at 40, 50. Grand. He, he had a ridiculous figure on these mm -hmm. uh, things and they were absolutely great. But then mm. when we left the stand and went round the trade fair looking at stuff, my, my boss at the time, he said to me, well, look, they're great in a way, but unless, unless he's like a Selma or Calworth, unless he could, unless he could mass produce and produce mm. quality, then yeah. he's just left with a five-year project that, you know, is yeah, kind bespoke. of like an elephant really, isn't it? Yeah, it's all bespoke stuff, isn't it? It's all like individual clients coming to him saying, I want this saxophone maybe... And I'll come back specifications. to five years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly, and yeah. It was a, a feat of genius on, on his part of a, as a craftsman. But mm. you think to yourself, going back to Honer, when Honer, this guy, finds a way of mass producing the harmonica, yeah. then sort of he's cracked it because mm. up until that point, nobody had actually done it. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Seidel, they did it. Yeah, Seidel did it as well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of people who are passionate about an instrument, they kind of want to get it right and they, they don't want to sort of reduce the quality or because you know, they think it's going to affect the overall sound and stuff like this. But you just need someone to come along, someone like that Honer, Matthias Homer, Honer. And he comes along, who's a clockmaker, actually. Apparently, oh, right, a bit a like the clock, this clockmaker from Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. But he's got to come at it at an angle where he, he kind of thinks, look, you've got to compromise somewhere with everything life is all about compromising isn't it and if you can make an instrument that's easy to make but still maintains a quality but does does something that everybody wants like so obviously it's a simple instrument in itself but it does what they want in terms of the music that they're trying it was designed mainly for you know that sort of german folky european music i guess wasn't it with the scale but you, if you're prepared to and you can do the distribution if you're prepared to make those compromises you can kind of back an instrument that yeah if it's mass produced it may not be the perfect one but yeah. it kind of fits into a sort well, of with middle. The, uh, the harmonica that you and i play um mm. when he designed that or when they designed that mm. sort of you know that is it joseph richer that came up with the tuning for the, yeah, the, the tuning, harmonica. Yeah. No, I, no, nobody would have thought in their wildest dreams then that um people were gonna as you and i do bend notes and overblow notes yeah, they, no. they, they, you know, it, 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 at that particular moment, it, that wasn't really an idea. You know, no, they weren't thinking about it. Like, it was just European folk music. A bit like um, Adolf, Adolf Sachs, who the who invented the saxophone. He died at the turn of the century, in 1840. By the 1900s, he he died, and then yeah. all the modern jazz, right through the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, he he's never heard what what it was capable of. No. But in fact, the harmonica in that sense did do that, didn't it? It became an instrument that was really adaptable to other music genres compared to what it was probably originally intended, which is just this sort of folky type music. The sort of, you know, we, we laugh about it a little bit, the sort of umpapa sort of German yeah. sort of folk stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the laden hose and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the interesting thing, because the, the harmonica, when you, when you look at the blues and the great... Um, 
blues guys from the deep south uh, who were starting yeah. you know because of some people suggested its limitations to the instrument i i don't because i've been a, a jazz saxophonist for 38 years or whatever and when i um, <clears throat> wanted to go into blues harmonica at a different stage in my life you, you realize that you've like these guys down in the deep south they they kind of worked to its strengths they they didn't try to um they knew roughly that how they could get round it to a point and then they they sort of evolution they sort of developed along a way i don't know they just it's a bit like when they have a a string tied to a door and they were making a bass line they sort of yeah. they, they did what they could with it and then they'd come up with yeah. new techniques to make it sound Better. Yeah, I think, you know, what interestingly, funny enough, we, we might talk about this a little bit later if we can fit, fit it in as yeah. a sort of little uh, side thing. But one of the last videos you did was this track, Roll and Tumbling Blues, on the harmonica. Oh, yes, yes. And I know that track more from playing on the guitar. And that's one of these classic open tune songs on the guitar that you play yes. in an open tuning, like you play it in an open tune G, the yes. original guy who played it. And it's real classic and it's really easy to play once you get into the groove once you get into the rhythm of it it's really easy to play and it's got a good little melody but it's it all intents and purposes an open tuning so when you tune your guitar to an open tuning you've really just got the sort of you know the root the third and the fifth notes so you've got this overall sound that fits and then you can imagine a diatonic harmonica being played along with that where it's just playing those particular notes as well and someone goes yeah that works really well because i've always said that um open tuning guitar and uh, the diatonic harmonica very very similar in the approach to playing it not in the kind of the mechanics but sort of how these old blues men's yeah sort of, as you yeah. say you know you know i mean i i've if I use a guitar, I would put the bottle on my little finger so I can finger all the chords with the rest of my hand. Some people put them on yeah. different fingers. The little finger's best because you can still get seven. Yeah. All you, you can get all your seventh chords you can get. Because um, I think I mentioned to you once before, well, we'll talk about that later, about um, a, a British uh, guitar player's uh, style with somebody we're going to talk about later. But, uh, but yeah, I, I drew that correlation a long time ago, listening to sort of someone like R.L. Burnside playing, oh, Black Maddie, change your clothes, girl mm. got drunk. And he, I don't know if you've ever mm. listened to R.L. Burnside. Yeah. And you listen yeah. to this groove he gets on the guitar. Yeah. And it's almost like that diatonic little little thing you can get on the harmonica. Yeah. So I think they try to emulate, yeah. Similar, similar sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when they sold guitars back then, like the turn of the, you know, uh, end of the 1800s, 1900s, they send it, they sell it with a bottleneck with it. And they would say, yeah, tune it to an open tuning and you can, it's really easy to play. You know, so yeah. that's how they actually, that's how they marketed guitars. Because, oh, I mean, it, we didn't mention before, but the harmonica was a classical instrument or the, the very early ones were, were designed to play classical music. And there are different types, which are sort of, you know, you get the octave ones, the tremolo ones, the bass, the concert, uh, and then of course chromatic they had ones. The yeah. chromatic one where you yeah. have the button at the side so you can play all, all the notes, whereas you yeah. and I play diatonics where all the notes are there but it's not apparent to the average no. person when you start the, to find them which is that's the, the, that's, the yeah. the trick. that's the trick isn't it that's the uniqueness of the instrument which we, we might so we should maybe talk about a bit more but you're right you're right it's an interesting instrument to look at in terms of its invention what it is and then you when you kind of think about why it works so well it, the, the funny thing is it's, it's one of these things that like, almost came from left field and it just seemed yeah, to I, work really well i discovered i discovered as a harmonic a blues harmonica player that um i was studying i've mentioned this on other videos where i was looking at obviously been a great fan of jerry mulligan's and i've played a lot of his music as a saxophone player and then i realized that a lot of his compositions in big band you could get um a blues harmonica in third position and you could emulate all the horns, a lot of the horn section work. And where you couldn't get certain chords, you could actually approximate them and fragment them. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I went and looked at the Sergio scores of the Good, Bad, and the Ugly that I've done videos on, fistful of dollars and a few dollars more. And I did mm -hmm. the same thing. And if you look at those videos, I do the same thing. I'm, I'm I use the whole of the orchestral score. 
on a blues harmonica in a certain position and I can hit all the chords and all the notes. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if anybody's ever come up with that before, but I actually have done it. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Because I realised off Mulligan, I thought, well, if Mulligan's using that on these minor arrangements, then maybe a lot of these cowboy westerns where they use minor tonality. So then when I looked at it, uh, it, it just seemed to fit third yeah. position. So you could run all the way through quite yeah quite easily and yeah, that, that was just a, a messing about and you discover so much when you mess about <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah no that's brilliant and that obviously the, the the knowledge that you have that you bring into that instrument is fantastic so um that's brilliant what else was there uh, yeah what, what do you what are your thoughts on the tuning because you do hear about there's a, there's a standard tuning yeah i don't i don't uh, want to get the listener bogged down with the actual tuning. No, and no. one of the things is that that's me making excuses now because off the top of my head, I can't, without really having to think of, I could tell you the intervals between each one as the yeah, fifth, was, yeah. but I don't really want to do that. But no. yeah, the tuning, I I probably like you, I just use the straight tunings. I don't. Yes, yeah, so uh, that's what I was going to say. You can get others. They make them in these minor keys and things for yeah. people who are session musicians so they can do certain things. And there's a uh, a bluesy rock player in Britain. He, he's got a different tuning. Yeah. Do you think that's relevant? Do you think that's a good thing, or do you think it's better? Because um, I often thought with you me, know, when you, Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I, my my answer to that is, for me, I think it's good for some people. For me, I like to use the chords and fragmented chords whenever mm. I want to. Mm. If they change the tuning at the top, then it it gives a much easier way of telling a story in single notes at the top. But yeah. what you lose out on is you can't drop into that rich chordal thing that mm. the Chicago blues guys have. You, you're, you're left with running more single notes like a guitar, which mm. if you're mic'd up with a huge band behind you will sound really not fantastic, of course. But for me, I like the idea that I can I can drop bits of chords with it like a piano player yeah you know, yeah no, that, oh, that's what i was going to really say was yeah i often find when you play the guitar and you put it into an open tuning although it works really well you then suddenly go ah oh, if i was in standard if i just kept it all in standard it might be in the long run a lot easier so i just sort of wonder whether really ultimately sticking with the standard is always the best way to work um, with I've, it. as far as guitars i've played guitars in open tunings and obviously played for years in sound when I discovered uh, open tunings, and it wasn't until I was in my 30s, I did that. I'd obviously played straight. I found that the the open tunings were just a different way of approach. So I learned all the chords in in uh, open D, open G, open E, I think, with a cap on, and then I then I learned all the other tunings. But there were three of them that I learned, or four of them, because I realised that when I was doing that. Um, off that film, oh why out, oh brother, where out thou? I think. Yeah. I learned yeah, that whole yeah. album on there, and I realised that yeah. um, they, they use another tuning for one when I thought there was in the other three. But once mm. I'd learned to have the bottle on the end and then played out, I realised you could hit all these other chords and notes, and then you could pick them all out. So, yeah. so I didn't. I I just kind of saw it as a different instrument as opposed to playing in a straight tune. Yeah how i kind of saw it and of course when you're in an open tuning as opposed to a straight normal tuning you're going to get overtones certainly when you play certain types of guitars with the bottle on overtones which are a beautiful rich blend things that you would not normally hear and they change and, and they swirl around and they're absolutely beautiful you get this on a blues harmonica when you're mic'd up sometimes sometimes occasionally but you can get it if you cross cross sometimes the fragmented chords and you do and then pulls pull certain things and just by messing about a lot you can achieve these things and uh, at times they can be quite unique you know each time yeah exactly this is what i was trying to sort of say in that you know say remember i mentioned the concertina at the beginning and you playing that and i sort of think the instrument kind of works with particular record uh, particular genres of music like i, I ultimately the concertina is a bit of a folky instrument it's in diatonic but the funny thing I think about the harmonica is, even though it was designed as a sort of fairly, it's a diatonic, the tuning is is what it is. It's amazing that it then got kind of adapted to suit a blues, yeah, blues playing, and I think that's really brilliant. That's one of the things yeah. I really like well, about it. You know, with this this German theme, it's interesting that these mm. German instrument makers 
and, mm. and then we talked about obviously the great um you know we can talk about the great german uh composers you've got your, your three b's haven't you your bach beethoven and brahms yeah. Yeah. Or some people say Mozart or Austrian. You know, some people say, yeah. oh, no, not Germany's Austrian. You know, the, yeah. you know, I still kind of see that he, some people put him in the German category, of course, quite right. Yeah. Some people, <laughs> you know, all these great people. But then in and when we were talking about doing this one, I was thinking, well, look at the great work of uh, one of my fans. I always had eyes to play saxophone with her, actually, but it didn't materialize. Barbara Dannerlein, the German Hammond organ, you know, she's sort of a reincarnated Jimmy Smith. And she's absolutely right. fantastic. Caught her in the 90s yeah. over in the UK, uh, back in the day when she was right at her heights. But she's still one of the greatest Hammond yeah. B3 players you'll ever come across. Wonderful yeah. German, of course. And then there's this guy I mentioned him before, German guy. I've found his name now, Konstantin Reinfeldt. He's a harmonica player diatonic german and uh, there's a, a people should check out something he did called blue drag blue drag on um, on youtube check him out blue drag now mm. i know blue drag from uh, django reinhardt django reinhardt did blue jag and in that that's you see where i came into jazz i came into it after the late 40s it's not my scene before that's that that's but i do swing. know but I do like that that kind of Django Reinhardt thing. It's because you don't have a drummer, because you, you they don't really use drummers in that way. And you've got the yan chat yat chat yat chat yat chat on the on the guitar. That kind of sort of rhythmic or percussive, approach. yeah, percussive uh, thing, yeah. You know, and um, he does blue drag on the on the diatonic harmonica, and he does an absolutely fantastic job. He slows it down. He doesn't play it with that chink. That, mm-hmm. that that thing that you that gypsy jazz that you recognize he doesn't kind of do that he drops it slower but his execution and his sound on through whatever mic he's used bloody good mic he, he doesn't play the way i would play although i'm sure he can do my thing very easily but he he's absolutely sublime and um people should check that out they should look at it mm-hmm. you know and he's a german guy so i'm saying that there's and then there's a... I've got his name correct now. <clears throat> it's Albert Mangelsdorf. It's Mangelsdorf. That's the, that's the great name that you've got to remember. Jazz trombonist who's suddenly died now, but a good friend of mine many years ago used to love bringing his name out in jazz talks. When he said, oh, have you heard of uh, Mangeldorf? Right. Alfred Mangeldorf. But his last name's Mangeldorf anyway. And he was a... Mangeldorf was his name. And he used to love that. He used to love that name because he used to bring, right. bring it up because... Few people had heard of him, but he was a top yeah. jazz uh, trombone player back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, but there's there's uh, some you know all might be, that country's brought out so much uh, great music. There might be some sort of aspect of the the German psyche that has kind of gone into the harmonica, which we're caught, uh, caught all unaware of to a certain extent. But it's there, and they're yeah. very logical. Maybe a very logical approach and efficiency. I don't know. Um, well, it's interesting that because uh, certainly that might well be the case. Uh, um, I know that um, back in the day when I was uh, with saxophones, I knew that um, the French saxophones had flair, the American con series had this flair. And at that time, the German Calworth saxophones were up there at that time, back in the mm. 80s and 90s, were one of the best as well. And they were like um, like driving a tank compared to driving a sports car in the other ways, in, in, in the way that the actions were set up. Very efficient, very heavy, almost like a, a certain sort of a cultural build on, on the on the instrument. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, which is... But but very extremely efficient. I, I'm not I'm not trying to generalise here, but you did seem to see that in the in the sort of manufacturing. So I'm th- yeah. but we really haven't got a lot to compare the little harmonica to until the the Japanese in recent years have come out with their their great ranges of harmonicas and yeah you know, Suzuki like, Suzuki's Yamaha Suzuki Tombo. Um, yeah. which do the Lee Oscar stuff. So, you know, they then they all came to the fore and they sort of like as a competition mm. for 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 the for the German Germans. manufacturers. Yeah, yeah. I guess we kind of still people still like, you know, the classic um blues harps. You know, there's an eighteen ninety six one, the Hona Blues Harp, the classic one, isn't there? The band. What's the one with the, the white box with the sort of picture of a band oh, on the it? The Marine Band. The Marine, Marine Band, band. Yeah, 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 yeah. People kind of like that because that's what they think is the authentic 
Yeah, for me, it's still one of the greatest uh, instruments you can get hold of, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Classic marine band nailed down reeds with a wooden reed, you know, and uh, I can pick you a C up and I can play you a a straight marine band out of a box if it's in the key of C and it's set up rhyme without touching it and I can can put you... um, all your all your all your bends, all your overblows, and all your overdraws. The one at the bottom, the one overblow, sustaining that on a C. Uh, where wooden body, I can yeah, might have to just tweak around with that one, and the seven overdraw I might have to tweak around with. But yeah, it'll do everything. It'll, yeah. You know, even today, yeah. and it's you know that's yeah. it's been. Was it it's not really changed, has it? It's not really changed as a design, has it? Somebody said they were better in the sixties, but I, I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I just. I, I kind of got, got the ones got, I've got are the special twenties, and they've got the screws on the cover plates, so you can get to the yeah, and the plastic to the reeds. Yeah, Some people with the, really the like marine, those. That Marine Band series are all all really good. Um, yeah, the rocket ones. Crossover. There's rocket ones, isn't there? The rocket uh, ones. The crossover and the rocket and the and the, yeah. the one. The cross the crossover um, with the bamboo comb. I I got the first prototype when it came out, mm. um, and I thought I really liked it. And then I, I blew all the reeds on it for some strange reason rather quickly. And then I'm told that. But um, to be honest, it was just taste. They're both fantastic, but I preferred the straight marine band to the crossover. Yeah, just yeah. preferred. Well, that's nothing to do with the fact it's cheaper. I just preferred the. Preferred the uh, the mm. wood to the to the bat to the bamboo comb, you know, just yeah. a preference. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously we're talking about those home ones, and there's lots of different harmonicas out there, and they're all good, but some are better than others, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's good. And you mentioned there just at the end uh, of the previous talk was how how the harmonica can be seen from a medical viewpoint, whether sort of inhaling and exhaling is good for. You know, the old diaphragm, building up the diaphragm, and building uh, up the diaphragm, and people who've had preliminary had problem with the lung problems, yeah. bits of lung removed. I've actually taught people who uh, I've taught yeah. one guy that's had three quarters of a lung moved through cancer yeah. and survived it, and then he uh, he was uh, playing single notes. So he didn't do any bends when I first met him, um, but mm. but I met him through the fact that. Um, uh, he didn't tell me originally why he was playing the harmonica after being a playing a, a bass player for 40 odd years, but yeah. uh, it turns out that that was a recommendation at the local yeah. hospital because oh, they have okay. these machines. But the thing is, the idea behind it is that if you give them a harmonica rather than the machine, it uh, that some of the doctors believe it, it's, it's more motivational for them to bother to do mm, it, mm, mm. and it's more it's, possible just to carry around, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and just a point of interest is that um, I think last year, uh, in fact, this last couple of years, I had to have a couple of, um, even during the lockdown, I had to have a couple of chest x-rays. And then each time uh, they were using this particular room where they had a, a normal-sized chest x-ray, and they had to take two lots of me, um, simply because he said my lungs were too big. <laughs> um, so that apparently that's a good thing. I didn't know that, but uh, it's because obviously... I exercise them an awful lot. If you're sort of training your lungs up a bit and... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah, yeah. And it's a bit of fun at the same time. So, yeah, so from the German point of view, so really it seems that the Japanese got on board and we, we've sort of come covered the sort of history of it. Germany's certainly a big, uh, big producer. Yeah, yeah. Still, of all the... And, of course, there are some manufacturers who have now come out with the history of the harmonica. A few years ago, I think there was one called, um, what was it now? Jonberg, I think it was called, from France. All right. And they were using sidle reed plates. Yeah. Then putting the rest and then making the rest of the harmonica up themselves. Oh, right. Customising, as it yeah, were. Yeah, but I think their business has gone into some form of difficulty. They never had a distributor in our country, in the United Kingdom. They no. may well have had a distributor in America. They had one in France. Mm. And I once wrote to them asking if I could buy one. They wanted. They thought I was a, a guy that just wanted one given to demonstrate it. So they, uh, they sent me a letter back saying, um, no, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not a big enough name for me to give, to give you. I said, I didn't want to give you, I wanted to buy one, but I couldn't yeah. buy one in the UK. So a year down the road or two years down the road, now they apparently they're in difficulty. But I thought, well, surely you've got to have distributors in every country. Otherwise, you know, yeah. You, You'll be struggling, aren't you, really? I mean, these days you can buy anything on the internet, can't you? So it's almost like boundaries. It wouldn't make any difference, would it? You 
Well, it's like, I don't know, end user certificate firearms or importing bananas and, and then you get wholesale up for trade. You know, it's got to come in, there's got to be a, a distribution point from the trade to retail. And um, if they don't have that for distribution, then they got a problem. And now, uh, certainly in our country now, with um, coming out of Europe, I mean, that's obviously inflating prices. And it will certainly inflate it for somebody who hasn't got that uh, operation in place. But they never had it when I was uh, looking at them. You were having to buy from France or to buy from another part of Europe, which uh, seemed very strange. And again, uh, they're using its plates from Seidel and then um, then calling it their business from that particular point. So you've still got Seidel replates in it, haven't you? So basically, as you've just uh, rightly said, it's actually a, a Seidel harmonica that's customised because um, the, the reed plates are Seidel plates. And that's where it doesn't make sense to me. Because if I'm going to take a motorcycle and I was going to race it at the Alaman TT, say I might have a Honda engine, take it to a specialist, might do it yourself, work on the engine, get all its specifications, and you go and race it. But the thing is, it's still known as a Honda engine. It's a Honda engine. You don't call it a completely different engine because you've worked on it. In this case, they're using sidle reed plates, they're sidle reeds, they're manufactured in Germany, and then they're putting other stuff onto it. So it's basically just a customised sidle. Right. And the only reason cars. I got onto them, because I was teaching a student who, he said, have you seen one of these? I yeah. said, oh, no, I, you know, as you do. So I thought you saw it by looking into why why, if they've got the sidle um, reed plates, so they just use, but they do what do a different comb and the cover they, plates. They're different. probably a different different comb and a different and, and a different, and they look really good. They did them in. They look really sophisticated. I think the guy was some sort of cyclist, or he was a, uh, a cyclist inventor, and it looked they look really good. If you look on like they, they looked really the business in the way they were state of the artly done. That um, yeah, but they were sort of. Uh, but I saw one guy demonstrating it and trying to sort of push them forward. And they were, um, if you wanted to, some guys like to turn the thing upside down and play it the other way around, don't they? Oh, but yeah, you do hear was, that. It wasn't yeah. really designed to be able to turn it the other way around. See, no. the thing is, whereas on most harmonicas, if you play that way, I don't. But if you want to play the other way around, there's no problem. You just turn it around and there's no, nothing gets in the way, you know. Yeah, you do see, that's right. There's There are some classic players that play... Yeah, the other way. Well, Paul Butterfield, didn't he play that upside down? Yeah, they sort of, so that it goes the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Pretty weird. Oh, what's his name? Sonny, Sonny Terry, I think, was also played upside down, as it were. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got them there on the old internet that I'm looking at. They've got a funny kind of shape, haven't they? Yeah, I've got them. Yeah. yeah. Jomberg. Yeah. That's right, you found it, yeah. Yeah, I haven't really come across those before. I might have a look at those. But Yeah, um, so, so just before we move on then, so... So the history. Um, so yeah, we've done. We done. We hope we haven't bored the listeners too bad with that. <laughs> many dates and all the rest of it, because that anybody can look a date up, can't they? You know. Yeah, uh, I thought we were trying to sort of give a little bit of ourselves in that, what we think. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because we're not trying to promote anybody in particular or anything. It's just our experience of these harp, these um, harmonicas. I think we covered most of it, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, so let's have a look. We're going to move on now to um, a, a bit of an obscure player because I didn't uh, I didn't know who he was, actually. I, should, I, I felt I'd like to say that I know all about this kind of thing, but I, I didn't know who he was. Papa Lightfoot we're going to talk about. Yeah, as the next article here. Yeah, this is um, this is something you we, we're in, in the format of the podcast, Harper with Harper. We told, do a little bit of a highlight of a particular player. And um, I was just one that I've mentioned to you before, and he's a bit of a strange character. He's not very well known, I don't think. But he's, he's he went by the name of Papa Lightfoot, but he's actually called Papa George Lightfoot. He was born 1924, died 1971. Um, he's born in Mississippi, Natchez, a place called Natchez in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And he recorded, basically, he did these sort of obscure recordings from about the end of the 1950s through to the mid-50s, and then he stopped. He actually stopped recording, didn't do anything more. Um, and the track that I quite like, he recorded about 1954, called Wine, Whiskey um, and Women, which has been covered by various people. But it's got yeah, a really amazing... The one that, um, when I looked it up, it seems to that seems to come up everywhere. That yes, it's almost this tune, yeah. Well, I, had a, I had a listen to that, and um, I think I mentioned to you before, yeah. it's sort of... 
This is interesting because you mentioned Dr. Feelgood said that they that they'd mm. uh, taken that. The I think they've done it. I think they've done a cover of it. Yeah. 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 So I look. I listened to this, and it, it's kind of quite basic. Now, when I say basic, he's mm. he's playing away and chugging away, but the 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 rhythm section behind him are playing more or less straight chords. Yeah. In other words, they're not necessarily playing seventh chords, but they're not playing on open tunings. No. So, or they're not making them seventh chords. So that gives the impression to me sometimes that sort of thrash, thrash blues sound, it, it creates it. But right, I realise what I'm just about to say here is that if it was the original Dr. Feelgood back in the 70s with Wilco Johnson and Lee Brio, this is what I'm trying to look at. If it was something that this um, tribute band that's been doing the thing for the last, although they had one maybe original member in it, the two original guys, uh, Lee Brillo and Wilco Johnson, that was Dr. Feelgood. That's what I'm talking about here. Um, if it's something they've done in the last 20, 25 years, then that's, um, that's not what I'm on about. Because I'm drawing the correlation to Wilco Johnson's guitar playing, which is quite unique. Interestingly enough, the early Dr. Feelgood, the guitarist uh, who wrote all the stuff originally, a guy called Wilco Johnson, he had a technique of playing his guitar by playing straight chords on the neck and dropping his thumb over the top. Then mm. as his right hand comes across, he then plays a, a rhythm pattern and then with his pick, picks out the notes uh, on the way back so that what you end up then getting is it sounds like two guitar players playing at the same time. And I think he'd, he'd learned that from either Mick or Peter Green. Or, yeah. or he'd, st he'd gone there, apparently, and uh, Mick or, say it was Mick, showed him, showed him this thing. But he couldn't do it. But, he, mm. but what he did, he came up with his own original way of doing it, which right. is... Which is yeah. so, but, uh, but what it reminds me of that, because some of Dr. Feelgood's music in the early days is thrashed over in a straight chord as opposed to a seventh chord. And mm. Papa Lightfoot, I hear, I heard that with his band. Mm. It almost sounds, um, or it just sounds, oh, maybe a, a straight tuning, uh, an open tuning guitar that's just running up. Uh, it just sounded quite sort of out there, quite loud and strong and bassy. Mm. Yeah, but, it's uh, quite sort of I think that's rough. what it sounded like to me. Yeah, it's got a rough, raw sound. If you're looking yeah. for a sort of Chicago he blues sort of, type he sort sound. It sort of gravels down the bottom end of the harmonica. Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I quite like it. It's got just it's got a sound that I just sort of think is is really you know yeah, whether you can listen call, to it. Um, I don't I don't strive necessarily. I don't strive for that um, in modern way. I have my own thing in my head. But yeah, he, he, he's got that grit. What they got the grit brown, the, the grit brown sound. Yeah. That, that um, you hear probably best done in people like uh, Little Walter, with amplified mic to uh, Little Walter. But yeah. he's got that, but that that gravelly grit thing at the bottom. He's definitely got that in his sound, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, I really like it. I mean, every time I listen yeah. to, I'm really listening to what he's playing, and I think it's He just his timing, I think, is pretty good. But then, having said that, um, if you listen to this album, that the, when he got brought out of obscurity through the '60s blues revival, some sort of record producer sort of found him and said, "Do you want to record something for us?" Mm. This is back in 1969. He recorded this album called Natchez Trace, which um, is actually, he's only got about eight tracks on it. And actually, they're all really basic tracks. Yeah. But actually, if you're learning, it's not too bad, actually. You can kind of get a feel for what he's doing. It's, it's basic enough, but he's got a really good sound, I think. And then, unfortunately, about two years after recording that album and getting a bit of recognition, he died. So he didn't really benefit, I guess, from the, the contribution that he made in terms of this mm. one track. Um, and this one album, but uh, he's just yeah, he's an interesting, interesting character. It's, I just like his stuff. So yeah, we reckon. Well, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's a slight digression, but I've just yeah. thought of it now. Can you imagine if we like? Well, let's forget the jazz bit. Let's get. Let's think. Keep it to Chicago blues. That you take your your harmonica or whatever, and uh, then uh, we do. Let's just very, very, just very, very quickly time travel to the la to the. Uh, to Britain in the in the Viking era, oh, yeah. you're a Viking settlement outside York somewhere, right. and then you uh, get out your blues harmonica and play them a few. The, the, I think the first thing that would happen is they'd start building a fire, yeah. put to put you in the middle of it. 
Now, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably the because you wonder how people would you think of that film like Back to the Future where he starts playing John and be good and then he goes into some sort of heavy thrash metal thing and then he goes oh, I guess you lot are not ready for this yet in that film no, isn't it? No, and I'm yeah. just wondering how somebody back in time who'd never heard anything mm. for hundreds of years suddenly you played something contemporary even if it was just a mm. a, a three chord blues on a guitar how how on earth they would they would hear it or yeah yeah i think yeah that's an interesting question because blues is a very accessible very mm. easy to hear thing isn't it well it's a, de- it's a definite sort of standard progression i don't know how far back that progression goes the one four five progression how far yeah, back you know, it's got Mozart. king harold at the battle of hastings was, coming out with the yeah. Good, you know just before <laughs> yeah, it was, said, was mozart doing it i don't know mozart yeah, was playing the one king four five. Saying, you want to watch you have that you'll have your eye out with that you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, it's an interesting concept because I think we all kind of like maybe sort of sometimes think, God, what if I was around in that time? I'd go and find that person and say, teach me how you did that. And then I'll, you know, it'd be amazing to sort of experience that. But I think these things are just more subtle than that, aren't they? They, they develop off of lots of different ideas that are happening and ultimately something really clicks with everybody and that sound then just gets registered as the signature yeah. of it'd be interesting Chicago to see blues. in the next 50 years how music's going to develop because you've got um you know you've got your well not rhythm and blues these days but you're out and out blues artists your modern jazz and then there's lots of different derivatives from that then you've got your your country people country and western that some people come out in spots if they're they're close yeah. to country people so you've got all that sort of going on You've got all these different types and where, where the next big new thing's going to come from. Yeah. See. Yeah. Or whether um, it will because of the changing nature of uh, how we're living with social media these days. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, interesting thing to sort of think about. It's, it's funny, you know, who are the originators of all these interesting pieces of music? And, you know, I do sort of wonder sometimes culturally how... Quite a, some of these things come up quite early on by other sort of nations, other countries, other peoples, and then they get absorbed into sort of a general kind of like mass of audience. And you kind of, you almost, when you're hearing stuff that's sort of hitting the, the main, the main sort of media, you kind of think it's probably, it's been done. It's probably been done 10 years ago or 10, 15 years ago. It's already happened. Yeah. It's moved think, on. Yeah. It I think you sort of the like, nail nail on the head there and that's probably why we can wind this up today it's just coming mm. back to the old blues guys mm. one of the, one of the things they did and were some of us who have knowledge of music were all guilty of doing it of uh taking a you know sex like a harmonica for example or whatever and then trying to evolutionize it a certain way and trying to compare it to other more sophisticated instruments where when we go back to the old blues guys they sort of dismissed its limitations in a way but instead of trying to make it in, into a trumpet or a saxophone they might emulate sound or try and do that but they then worked with its strengths and then started wow. creating techniques like a, a hand wire or this or that or trying to make it sound or speak or cry in different ways and i think the blues harmonic has still got a long way to go with people trying to find those avenues as opposed to trying to find traditional music yeah i think you've got to initially i think like it's like all these things you first got to get it out there as an instrument and there's an element i think unfortunately what happens with some of these instruments, there's a novelty aspect to it and like when we when i was telling you about the guitars when they first sold were selling guitars yeah. they put a bottleneck with it so one, it made it easy, you do an open tuning and you could get a tune out of it really quickly. And then, um, so once that happens, you then start getting people kind of like really focusing in on a particular instrument and then they, they push it to its limits. And yeah. then that's when things start happening, isn't it? Yeah, I've got, got a video, I've got a video I did yesterday. I haven't put it out yet, only because I, oh, I messed up on something. I just, something to put it, I'll, I'll probably put it up tomorrow, but it's just a, a little groove I'm doing. But the, the groove I'm showing is mm. where in open tunings you do this on guitar and you I watch the old blues guys do it. If you're playing completely on your own, mm. they'll play a figure through mm. the first four measures, right? Mm. Do it on the guitar. You're playing a figure on the guitar. Then when those four measures are finished and you go to the chord change, then they'll sing. Yeah. But, but when they sing, they'll play a straight chord. 
yeah. And when yeah. they come back to their uh, original measure, they drop the figure back in. Mm, mm. So that if you're playing with a full band, you don't have to do that. But most of mm. the blues, old blues guys are playing on their own. So they create the rhythm and blues. They'll, they'll play figures through the, the first few measures, but all mm. the voice appears on the chord change. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, unless, yeah. you're Robert, unless you're Robert Johnson. Yeah, uh, because he he somehow managed to be able to do all of it at the same yeah. time. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it, uh, I didn't get Robert Johnson for years. I did. I didn't get it. I used to listen to it, and it was so dark and dreary and terrible. I just couldn't get it. And then I realized one day when I was trying to do it, I realized, all right, with him, it's mm. about doing everything at the same time. Yeah, he's doing. He took, picked up lots of so stuff. So he? he's playing a bass line, a lead line, a rhythm mm. line, and a figure, and a figure on top, and putting a voice and a wail over the top of those figures. So he's not mm. just playing a line and a groove and picking the notes out. He's actually playing a figure. So mm -hmm. and then he'll percussive onto the guitar as well. So you got mm. it's it's almost impossible. I, mm. I, I think Eric Clapton once said, he said, you're trying for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to try and get close. Mm. You, got, you just can't get to that close to how he did it. He, mm. You know, and God, He's he did it, all, did it all. He was dead at 23. So he didn't waste much time in getting getting it down. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. He was one of these amazing, amazing artists, isn't he, from back in the day? Yeah. Um, Part but I think, to, uh, I think yeah. to wind up today, I think mm. that's one of the things we could finish off with is just the, the fact that, and we've both touched on it today, is that the blues harmonica and its history is, uh, as you quite rightly say, very similar to in, in approach to open tunings on a, on a guitar. Yeah, in a diatonic of, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of how, as you were saying, you know, when you were saying to play straight, more intricate, you know, you're saying mm. that, Okay, this is this is the the tools I've got, and mm. and, and how this is how we're going to go about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think there's similarities, definitely crossovers. Yeah. Well, today, RJ, I've I've let you down today because I haven't got a passing uh, a passing phrase uh, to finish. Have you got anything? I had one. I read about somewhere. I was reading something. I can't remember where I read it. And it was something like, "To learn, you have to be humble." I thought that was quite good because quite often when you start learning something, you kind of think, oh, I, it's easy. I can do this. I can do that. And uh, why am I looking at the really basic stuff? But I think that's something that, you know, sometimes you've got to step back and kind of go, look, learn some of the basic stuff when you're learning. And then you then suddenly get, oh, I didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's quite an interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I've just come up with something. Well, my advice to anybody, take up the blues harmonica, get playing it. But uh Think a lot about music, but don't think why you're doing something. You know, when the kid goes and kicks a football against a wall on his own when he's bored all day, he doesn't think other than what he's doing. He doesn't think of the consequences of the negativity around him. He concentrates on the positivity. So he eliminates that and gets on with it. And as musicians, that's what we should do. This is what I do. This is what I do every day. And this is when I do it. And uh, everybody's yeah, going to accommodate that or go elsewhere because you, yeah, you have to have individual character and you have to be strong and then you have to you have to do, deal with it. And uh, that's it. You know, musicians are musicians, artists are artists. You know, you, you, you are it because you do it. Yeah. Not thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, get into the zone. That's the main thing. Get into the zone. Get in the zone, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. All right, I'll take. I'll okay, then, great. Now. Good speak, yeah. Yeah, see you later. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Thanks to RJ as always, and that was our look at the blues harp manufacturing history. Yes, we haven't hit on other prominent manufacturers, but as I said at outset, it's not Geeksville. Don't forget, check out Harpo the Healer on YouTube, subscribe, and if you can, help support the channel. If any top manufacturers are listening to this, take heed. Keep your prices of all your diatonic harps low. To maintain its initial attraction because your payoff is all the repeat business notably from blues players who by design use the instrument in unique powerful and challenging ways the idea surely is to grow business okay i'll take it out on blues harp walking through the park by muddy waters stay hip stay cool get harping <laughs>